Howdy, ladies and gents. This is Tom Gibson, and this episode's going to be a little bit different. I recently made a book review on Man's Search for Meaning for my YouTube channel, and I thought, since it was primarily an audio experience, I was kind of just talking about the book, that it would make a good addition to the podcast. Originally, I was like, eh, I don't know, does it fit? Because the podcast is kind of more educational in nature, but I thought this could be a bonus episode for the podcast. Uh, additionally, I am working on a new podcast where I am looking at the overlap of what I'm learning in the world of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and how that has any kind of connection to being a classroom teacher. So I'm still wanting to put out a podcast every month. So this one is the March podcast and I'll have the next podcast ready in a few weeks. So I hope you enjoyed this review and this podcast as I kind of explore the different things that I learned and pondered as I read Man's Search for Meaning. Howdy, ladies and gents, and welcome to the first review from the Tom Gibson Book Club. This review is looking at Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It was one of the two books that I read in the month of March in 2018. So I took a bunch of notes and let's just go ahead and get started. Man's Search for Meaning is a book about a psychiatrist who was in concentration camps during World War II and he's analyzing his own psyche and how he was responding as well as how he saw other people responding during the atrocities of the Holocaust. The book is separated into three sections. The first section is about his experience in the concentration camp. That is the biggest section of the book. And the last two sections of the book are more of the psychiatry. Part two is about logotherapy. And part three is tragic optimism. So let's look at part one, experiences in a concentration camp. I think early on as he's describing life in the concentration camp, there were two instances which I felt communicated most the, the darkness that was in the concentration camp. And the first one he's talking about how it wasn't always the insults or the physical violence that actually degraded and hurt the most. Once I was standing on a railway track in a snowstorm. In spite of the weather, our party had to keep on working. I worked quite hard at mending the track with gravel since that was the only way to keep warm. For only one moment, I paused to get my breath and lean on my shovel. Unfortunately, the guard turned around just then and thought I was loafing. The pain he caused me was not from any insults or any blows. That guard did not think it worth his while to say anything, nor even a swear word to the ragged, emaciated figure standing before him, which probably reminded him only vaguely of a human form. Instead, he playfully picked up a stone and threw it at me. And that, to me, seemed the way to attract the attention of a beast, to call a domestic animal back to its job, a creature with which you have so little in common that you do not even punish it. And just a few pages after that, he was talking about how one of the guys that was sleeping was obviously having a terrible nightmare, and he decided not to wake him up from the nightmare because he knew that the reality of the situation was actually worse than whatever he was dreaming in the nightmare. When you're reading a book like this that's that's talking about finding meaning through suffering, it's kind of hard to really understand, like, well, this doesn't really apply to me because I haven't experienced the atrocities of what this man experienced. But he makes an interesting analogy when he's talking about, about suffering and how it really doesn't do any good to compare, like, oh, who's got it worse, or that person's got it worse than me, or I've got it worse than that person. He says, to draw an analogy, a man's suffering is similar to the behavior of gas. If a certain quantity of gas is pumped into an empty chamber, it will fill the chamber completely and evenly, no matter how big the chamber. Thus, suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the size of human suffering is absolutely relative. And I think that's important to keep in mind because I, d I don't think you should lose a perspective on the suffering of others and that that you are that we are privileged enough to, to live a life that's relatively free of suffering. But that's still not to say that there aren't lessons that can be learned from suffering in any capacity. Because he was even saying, like, going from concentration to concentration camp, guys would be like, oh, 
wow, you guys have shoes here? Like, we didn't have anything in the last place. And so regardless of the size of one's suffering, there's still lessons to be learned and meaning to be found in whatever capacity the suffering is. And so as he talks about the freedoms and the rights that were stripped of them and how they had absolutely nothing, he starts to wonder, like, are we just, do we just become products of our environment? Does man have no choice of action in the face of such circumstances? And he concludes that the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. He's saying that no matter what happens, people can't take away the freedom of how you're gonna respond to a situation or what attitude you're gonna have about any particular circumstance. And he talks about in the circumstance of lack of sleep, insufficient food, various mental stress, that may suggest that the inmates were bound to react in certain ways. And in the final analysis, it became clear that the sort of person that the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision and not the result of the camp influences alone. So it makes you think like of all the people that could kind of just victimize themselves and be and think woe is me and I've been dealt this terrible hand is, is someone that's in a concentration camp. Yet he was choosing hope, he was choosing to keep going. The way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering that it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstance, to add a deeper meaning to his life. So the way you react is your opportunity to find meaning in your life. He talks about in their life before the Holocaust, how there was a movie called Resurrection and how it told of great destinies and of great men. And for us at that time, there was no great fate. This was before the Holocaust. There was no chance to achieve such greatness. After the movie, we went to the nearest cafe and over a cup of coffee and a sandwich, we forgot the strange metaphysical thoughts which for one moment had crossed our minds. Kind of like the movie gave them this window for this opportunity to have this meaningful and this great fate and this great life. And they didn't really have that opportunity in their real life until they started to see the Holocaust as their opportunity to to be great, and even if that meant just dying well. And I feel you can see this in culture today with this, this complete lack of suffering and this complete lack of opportunity to live for something great. I think that's why you see people that get lost in these, these online games where they create this persona who's saving the princess or who's going out and fighting the battles and they're finding more meaning and more purpose in something like that, even though it's virtual and artificial, because they're not finding it in their real life. I found that one of the strategies that he used to kind of deal with the the mental stress of everything that was going on with him was that he would kind of detach himself from the current moment. He would envision himself years from from now, from the moment he was thinking and experiencing it, in a lecture hall, lecturing about the psychological effects of being in the concentration camp. All that oppressed me at that moment became objective, seen and described from a remote viewpoint of science. By this method, I succeeded somehow in rising above the situation, above the sufferings of the moment, and I observed them as if they were already in the past. And I've heard several people talk about this kind of detachment mentality to get a different viewpoint or perspective on whatever circumstance you find themselves in. The context that I was hearing it about was kind of this problem solving aspect of like detach from the situation, try to look at it objectively. But this was more of a, a survival situation of like detach from the, the misery that I'm in now and just try to look at it objectively. And so he talks about how the meaning of life is gonna differ from person to person and even from moment to moment. In some instances, your meaning is to, to perform some kind of action. In some other instances, it might be 
uh, contemplation. In another instance, it might be just to suffer well, and that's, that's what your meaning is. Long ago, we had passed the stage of asking, what was the meaning of life? A naive query which understands life as the attaining of some aim through the active creation of something of value. For us, the meaning of life embraced the wider cycles of life and death of suffering and of dying. Once the meaning of suffering has been revealed to us, we refuse to minimize or alleviate the camp's tortures by ignoring them or harboring false illusions and entertaining artificial optimism. Suffering had to become a task on which we did not want to turn our backs. And so they stopped trying to minimize suffering or beginning to see suffering as an opportunity for achievement. And being a person of the Christian faith, I see a lot of this written in the scriptures uh, where, where there were these letters that were written to the early Christians that were saying, don't minimize this suffering, but for you, for people of the faith, for people who believe in Jesus, this suffering for the faith has purpose because it gives you this opportunity to, to have a glimpse of the suffering of Christ on the cross for the sake of humanity. And all the great people of the faith were not people people who were running away from suffering, but embracing it for the greater purpose of, in that case, a lot of them sharing the gospel to the world and sharing the message of Jesus to the world. He started talking about how even amongst the guards, you would you would find that there was goodness and kindness amongst the guards and obviously hate and anger and violence. But you would also see that amongst the prisoners. Some prisoners would kind of be put in these positions of leadership and some of them would be even more brutal than the actual guards. And so he He's just like, you can't really tell much about a person whether they are a camp guard or a prisoner because human kindness can be found in all groups, even those which as a whole, it would be easy to condemn. Uh, and that just makes me kind of think of just how how fragmented so many groups, uh, at least in the United States are right now and how people just condemn an entire group of people. And <laughs> here's someone in a concentration camp saying like, even I would not condemn an entire group of Nazi concentration camp guards. He talks a little bit about what happens psychologically upon liberation uh, and he compared it to what the, what happens physiologically uh, when you come up too fast in water and you get the bends, um, that the liberation was just so sudden and that they had been living for for couple of years in this in this context and in this brutal life uh, to just be set free it's like they didn't they didn't know what to do and he said a lot of them weren't expecting happiness when they got out they weren't like I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna be happy but they were surprised at the unhappiness that they found when they got out uh, particularly if if the they were thinking I just I want to get back to my wife or my children or whatever it was and and those family members had ended up dying so like the reasons that they they kind of kept pushing forward while they they were there almost ended up not really coming to fruition. He ends this section with the crowning experience of all for the homecoming man is the wonderful feeling that after all he has suffered, there is nothing he need fear anymore except his God. And so it definitely puts things in perspective. Seeing him just kind of analyze his own psyche, it was probably the most fascinating aspect of the whole read. You always wonder like, well, you know, how would I fare in, in really, really terrible and difficult circumstances? The section on logotherapy. Logotherapy was just kind of a, a, a branch of psychoanalysis that he coined after uh, he got out. And it's a type of therapy whose purpose is to find meaning in a given set of circumstances. And he actually talks about this need to have a struggle, this need to have some tension. He said that thus it can be seen that mental health is based on a certain degree of tension. The tension between what one has already achieved and what one still ought to accomplish or the gap between what one is and what one should become. 
What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. And that kind of ties into what I was saying earlier about like just not not living a life of avoiding suffering, but having this purpose and this meaning and this drive. It reminds me of Wally, where these people were just there was no struggle and there was just living this existence where everything was given to them, but but it was pointless. And I was listening to a podcast of this ultra marathoner who had talked about, he's like, I hate running and that's why I run. And it sounds crazy and it sounds like it's masochistic, but it's, I don't think it is. I think it's, I think there's a lot of meaning and purpose that comes from doing something difficult and seeing your way through it. And all throughout the book, he talks about, you don't, you don't look for suffering, but you just don't avoid it when it comes. And I think almost in our culture that there is such little suffering. And that's why things like Spartan races are so popular because it gives people this sense of like, yes, I'm going to suffer through this and I'm going to make it through this. And this is going to be hard but I'm going to see myself through it. And, and there's, there's meaning and there's enrichment in that. And several months ago, I started learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, I, and a part of why I started was because I wanted to do something difficult. I wanted to do something hard. I wanted to do something that would take a lot of effort and would hurt and I'd get beat up a lot and see myself through it and see myself grow because of it. He shared this idea with a lot of his patients, which was live as if you were living already for the second time and as if you had acted the first time as wrongly as you are about to act now. I've heard that phrase as, what advice would your 80-year-old self give your current self today? And the thing that I think that illuminates is that we know what we should be living for, we know what we should be doing already, and that's why we can answer those types of questions when they're framed that way. And it also brings into perspective just how the shortness of life, when we think about being 80 and looking back, and we're gonna say like, enjoy your time now because it's gonna go by so fast, we know that, we've heard that. And kind starts to conclude saying that we can discover the meaning of life in three different ways. By creating a work or doing a deed, by experiencing something or encountering someone, and by the attitude we take toward unavoidable suffering. Uh, and going back to my faith, I kind of see all of those things found in the Christian faith. Um, creating a work or doing a deed, uh, when Christ was asked, what's the most important commandment or what's the most important thing to do? He says, love God and love people. And that manifests itself in a ton of different ways. By experiencing something or encountering someone, uh, encountering the person of Jesus and experiencing redemption and experiencing the Holy Spirit coming in and binding with my spirit. And by the attitude we take toward unavoidable suffering. And I kind of talked about that a little bit earlier on what the scripture says about suffering. And lastly, in this section of the book, he talks about keeping in mind the transitoriness of life isn't really a, a pessimistic view, but it's more of an activistic view. And he, he compares two men where one, one man is taking the sheets off of his calendar day by day. And it's like, oh my gosh, my days are limited. It's going down one by one. I'm losing all my days. Whereas the other man takes each one off and kind of writes down a little bit of what he's done that day and can reflect and be proud of the day that he lived. And, and that second man doesn't fear growing old because he's able to, to reflect and see what his life has been. And he doesn't envy the young person because he's like, man, that young kid's got a lot of days to get through and no thanks, I don't wanna do that all over again. Instead of possibilities, the old man has the realities of his past. Not only have the realities of the work he's done and the love he's loved, but the sufferings that he suffered as well. These sufferings are even the things of which I am most proud, though these things are things which I cannot inspire envy. 
And so those are my thoughts on Man's Search for Meaning. Um, thank you for watching all of this. I really wanted this to serve as kind of a reflection for myself on the things that I gathered from it, uh, the things that I want to remember, the mindsets that I want to maintain in my life, regardless of if I'm experiencing any kind of suffering or, or working through the meaning and the will of my life. I'd love to know what you thought, uh, either on the things that I shared or if you read the book this month, uh, leave them in the comments below. The other book that I read was Dune, and I plan on doing a live stream book club discussion thing for that. So be on the lookout for that as well. And I'll be putting a video out on what the next books will be in the Tom Gibson Book Club. Thanks so much for watching and hopefully I'll see you in the next video.